Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. As uh, mentioned, we'll be starting off here in just a moment uh, with the uh, Coach's Corner panel discussion. I've got a great guest uh, with me this evening. Uh, she's uh, been a regular now for, for the last several years, and I'm excited to have a, a great conversation with her, and I'll bring her out in just a minute. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by this evening's uh, very special guest, uh, interview guest, a little bit later on the broadcast, Sean Slater. And he is the senior brand and product manager for Pride Sports and Soft Spikes. Uh, he'll be joining me on the second half of the show, so hope you'll stick around. Just remember, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And obviously, the, the best way to find us, if you're not able to tune in live, is go to blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive. And just scroll down to the on-demand section. Obviously, during the live broadcast, it'll be front and center. But... Um, if uh, you're unable to, as I said, go to uh, that link on and listen live, um, then you can scroll down to the on-demand section and uh, you can listen to it uh, in its recorded version a little bit later on when it's convenient for you. But either way, glad that for those of you live uh, tuning in. And I'm going to introduce uh, tonight's panelist, and uh, it's Sue Weger. She's been a guest, as I said, many times over the last several years. She's a number one best-selling international author, a motivational speaker, and peak performance coach. And she is a 26-plus year LPJ uh, Class A uh, golf professional, and excuse me, and the owner of Uyghur Consulting. Her book, of course, is Golf: The Last Six Inches. Change your brain is available at Amazon.com. So, Sue, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted, for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, as always, and and. Uh, I, I appreciate you uh, giving of your time. As, as we were talking off air, it's not always easy, so I, I appreciate when uh, when the folks that come on the panel and, and guests and that are able to do that, uh, especially break away from a busy day of teaching. So um, always uh, always grateful for that. So yeah, <laughs> well you know you gotta you gotta step on the gas sometimes to to get off the lesson tee and, and make it back. So I always appreciate um, people giving of their times and 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 so often for so many years. So. Uh, again, thank you for doing that. So I thought since it was you and I tonight um, that we would have uh, a discussion about some of the – now, this is obviously going to be um, – can be certainly generic within the golf instruction industry, but some of the things we're going to talk about are um, things that you've adopted, and uh, we'll get some of the reasons why you've chosen that. Um, and But I think it will help everybody that's listening, not just from the teaching side, but also from the student side, why it's important. So the first one I want to uh, – tackle is um, you sort of subscribe to the theory and as do I that um, 
that a student can at some point become their own best coach within themselves. And if they want to elevate not only to their game, but obviously their life, they need to be able to accomplish that. So give us just a, a general overview of what you mean by that and how you sort of uh, create a platform to help them achieve that. Yeah, I think the first thing that I always um, talk to my students about is finding out what kind of learner they are. So um, a lot of people are either ver- uh, visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. And if if you understand who you are or what kind of learner you are, then um, then what I do basically is if I find out that they're a kinesthetic <clears throat> kinesthetic learner, then I teach in terms of kinesthetics, which means you know, what do you feel or, you know, what are you feeling when you're in your backswing, for example, or what are you feeling when you're standing over the ball? That's a kinesthetic um, person. An auditory person is somebody that is, that likes, that will hear things and they'll learn by hearing um, what you're saying. And, uh, and then the visual, of course, is somebody that they need to, you need to demonstrate to them exactly what you, what you want them to do. So that's the first thing. The other, the other thing is I always talk about with my students is are you, are you right-brained or are you left-brained? So left brain is a very analytical brain, so they think about every little thing, you know, in their, in their swing. And the right, right brain is more, of the crea- is more of the creative side. So I just teach people similar to what Vision 54 talks about in regards to when you're in the, you know, there's a, there's a think box and there's a play box. And when, you, you're, when you're in the think box, you can be in your left, you can be in the left side of your brain. But when you're in the play box, once once you step over and you're looking at um, ready to hit a golf shot, you need to be in the creative mode or in the right side of your brain. And so we just we teach people how to go through that process of understanding that you know you want to be in your um, you can be in your think box when you're thinking about the shot, but you don't want to be standing over the ball ready to hit a shot in your left brain or your thinking brain. You want to be in the creative side. So. Those are the things that I talk about with a lot of my players in regards to understanding that process. And then um, for me as a teacher, I, I have to understand are they visual, auditory, or kinesthetic because I want to speak their language. I don't want to speak my language. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And, and I think that's important. And I think that's something many years ago that was missing Um, not just in golf, but in in other instruction, if you will, as well, is not understanding um, the language, if you will, and I don't mean um, phonetically in in the Mm -hmm. sense that, um, you know, Spanish or English or what have you, but obviously that helps too if you're dealing with somebody that's uh, uh, foreign, but uh, you need to understand Mm -hmm. how they learn, their learning style, whether they're visual. And what I wanted to ask you, just sort of a quick follow-up is, and I think I have the answer to it, but I just want to get your perspective professional opinion as well. Can you be a little bit of each? Like, for instance, can you be maybe more dominant as a visual, but still be uh, an audio or uh, kinesthetic? Can you be a little of everything or more dominant in one, but maybe have some, um, you know, a a spark, if you will, of some of the others? Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. And what I do is I give, (laughs) I give my students an evaluation sheet and I um, and there's a one column for visual, and there's another column for auditory, and there's another column for uh, kinesthetic, and it's just basically um, they fill out this little evaluation sheet, and that helps me understand who they are, 
gift. That's one of the first things that I give most of my students because I want to understand that I want to make sure that I'm in the same speaking mode or whether or not if, if they're visual then um, and if they're a little bit of both, that's okay because that's who they are. So and and then so what I do is if I find that out, then we just kind of switch back and forth. Sometimes I'll like if they're maybe auditory and visual, then sometimes I'll talk to them. Sometimes I'll show them. So it, it, you know you kind of mm-hmm. have to you have to know your student because you want that learning experience to be the utmost. Um, what do I want to say, utmost advantage for them to be able to create or to create what you're trying to tell them and um, or either or show them or make them feel it if they're kinesthetic. So um, it goes back, it goes in, th- you know, um, three different ways. So it just kind of depends on the person. But, yeah, there's others, everybody's a little bit different. So, yeah, there's... Right. Um, there's times where yeah, they could be visual they could be visual and they could be um kinesthetic or they could be auditory at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean obviously you're you you are kind of sprinkling a little of each, but I think that I think you'd agree that usually most people are more dominant in one. Um that doesn't mean that they can't learn uh in, in one of the other formats, but typically like for me for instance, right. um I'm a more of a visual person. Now, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as far as auditory, it, it's fine. You can you can tell me things, but for me, what I need to do is it's kind of like transmitting it into a visual component. So for me, if somebody's telling me something, yes, I'm visualizing. Yes. Now, certain things I don't, I don't need to. But for you know, if somebody's trying to explain, uh, you know, something specific, then I need to visualize mm-hmm. it in my mind. Um, and in certain cases, you know, I might even have them demonstrate, okay, yeah, I get it now. I understand what you're trying to, you know, what you're trying trying to articulate there. So I agree with you. I think it's very important to understand your student because I think one of the, the problems that we faced as instructors over the years is teaching sort of to one, um, not method, but one way or the other. And, you know, maybe half of the students get lost because they're confused, they're not able to visualize, they're not able to, you know, sort it out, if you will, in their own mind, um, and mm-hmm. it becomes very difficult for them to learn, right? Absolutely, and that's why it's like, you know, and that's why I tell a lot of, like, what if, if I'm doing a seminar with the, uh, you know, like golfers that are in the room, you know, that's why I always tell them is, like, make sure that your instructor is matching who you are as a person, whether that's visual, auditory, or kinesthetic, because you're not going to benefit from their instruction if they're not in the same, what do we want to say, you know, same mode of instruction, um, because you're not going to be able to get it. There will be other people will get, like you just said, I just kind of turn some some students will turn themselves off to it because they're like, well, I don't, I'm not getting it. And right. that's why all great, all great instructors understand visual and auditory kinesthetic learners. Mm-hmm. And then you can, um, once you find once you find out who they are, then that's the mode you go to. And then, yeah, sometimes they're a little bit of both maybe visual auditory or visual kinesthetic. And then you just kind of flip back and forth that, they get the most out of your instruction. A lot of a lot yeah. of you know instructors only will teach who they are as a person. You know, so if I'm right. if I'm very visual, I'm gonna all I'm gonna do is just show you, show you, show you, 
and that's not beneficial mm-hmm. to the student. Right, so exactly, especially if they're yeah. Right, especially if they're mm-hmm. auditory or something like that or kinesthetic. Um, yeah, you, you definitely mm-hmm. can't just go one way. So it, it's good to sort of have a mixed bag. But you're right. If you're if you're in a group of, say, 10 students and you're doing a, a clinic mm-hmm. or uh, or something to that effect, obviously the likelihood of all 10 of them being exactly the same uh, is just not going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to yeah. have a situation where maybe three um, might, you know, fully get, understand what you're saying. Um, maybe another three or four might need to visually see it, and, and then the others might need something different altogether. All so, you know, that's great if you're teaching from a visual standpoint to get those two or three or four, but then the rest of them are out in the weeds yeah. because they're not understanding what you're trying to, the message you're trying to get across. So, yeah, it's very important that you ascertain that up front. I agree. All right, I want to move on, and this sort yeah. of falls hand in hand with this, but, um, you know, everybody wants to sort of, uh, I guess, elevate themselves to, uh, becoming a, uh, especially, you know, some of the uh, junior and, and uh, collegiate golfers, they want to be uh, and gain sort of that peak performance, if you will, in, in the results and really take it up that extra mm-hmm. notch. So you guys, uh, you know, you particularly have developed uh, some very simple but very effective tools to help, uh, you know, golfers gain that extra uh, sort of higher level peak performance. So what are some of the, the tools that you try to give them to help them achieve that? And obviously they have to do their part but what are some of the things, just maybe give us a few examples of, of things that you do to help uh, golfers gain that peak performance. Yeah, the first thing that I do is I give them an evaluation sheet when they go play, and that evaluation sheet is not about scoring. It's about how you're feeling, what you're learning, um, and then how could you do it differently. And that's one of the things that I always like um, really – push toward my students in regards to understanding, you know, who they are as a person, number one, on the golf course, because just like visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, you want to be that person so that you can reach that peak performance level. If you don't, um, if you don't show up as you on the golf course, then you're going to struggle throughout the whole, let's just say, if it's nine holes or 18 holes, you're going to struggle. And we don't want that to be struggling. So, um, the first thing I always ask them, you know, or on the evaluation sheet is, you know, what are you thinking about? You know, what are you thinking about the shot? Are you thinking about the distance? You know, are you are you your best caddy? And that's one of the things that one of the is one of the questions I have on my evaluation sheet. Are you your best caddy? And um, and then I just kind of explain to them like, okay, if you were a caddy, what would you be? What would you be saying to yourself? Are you going to, you know, what was, what's the, you know, what's the distance? What's the shot? What's the lie? Um, what kind of club you think you should use? Is it a good lie? Is it a bad lie? Let's talk to yourself just like if you were going to talk to a caddy because you make better decisions when you ask better questions. And um, people play better when they have, um, when they're, you know, what I just tell people is pretend like you're your own best caddy. If you had a caddy, what would you be talking about, you know? And it's not about how to swing. It's about what to swing or right. make a decision on, you know, the um, the particular club, um, particular lie angle, particular, um, you know, distance, whatever that may be. So that's one of the things that I really push hard. It's like you need to be your best caddy as well as far as just being a, and also, you know, being your best player. Because your best player shows up when your best caddy shows up. Right. 
Right. And, and, you know, a great example of that is, you know, you want, I mean, obviously at a higher level, they, they know this, but you know, if, if you were, you know, sort of a regular amateur golfer and you imagine, okay, you're faced with a scenario, um, confidence level with this particular shot that you're faced Mm -hmm. with, you know, if you're 230 yards from the green and you're not very proficient with your three wood or, or something along that line, mm-hmm. is that the best choice to make? So that's what your, your caddy would, you know, or, or yourself in that case would be saying is, okay, play to your strength. This is not one of your strengths. Right. So what's the alternative, right? So that's what you want right. to do is you want to think, you want to strategize or think through the process. And that's what a caddy is, mm-hmm. is there to help you do. I mean, ultimately the decision is yours, not theirs, but right. you want to, right, to be able to make an informed decision. So the caddy is going to provide you with, um, details, okay, the wind is, you know, coming uh, from left to right, you know, five to 10 miles an hour. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's some hazards over here on the left and, you know, water on the right, what have you. Um, so those factors need to be uh, addressed. And that's what a caddy is going to provide you with, with uh, you know, certain data points and that for you to understand. But ultimately the decision is yours. But, you, you, you know, you know what your yeah. abilities are. And uh, obviously yeah, at, and at a I professional think- level, the caddy – yeah, the caddy does too. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, it's just like that's why you know I, I tell people because most people when they play they don't have a caddy. <laughs> so I'm like, you need right. to be your best caddy. So what what does that really mean? So you need to t- you know you need to speak your to speak your speak the same language as a caddy, which means okay, when you're up there preparing for a shot, you know. Pull out, pull out the caddy hat and put it on and start asking the questions of what a caddy would ask because that's smart playing versus going to guess and go ahead and just hit this shot. No, that's, not, that's not very smart. So, you know, I just tell people to be your best caddy um, because you'll, you'll – what I want to say is you have – you ask different questions when you are talking in caddy mode, if you may. And I versus um, standing over a ball thinking, okay, I have to do this or I have to do that and I have to do that. No, it's not about that. It's about, okay, what's the situation giving you? You know, is the, is the like you said, is it 230 yards and the lie's not very good, which means if the lie's not very good, you better not hit a three wood. You better hit a five wood. You right. have a little bit more loss. Um, those type of things. Um yeah, and that's yeah, what and, I, you, and know, you know, that's what I push. Yeah, right, and and that's where you know you have to think before you play. You have to you know sort of analyze and, and put that together, and then also you know how you feel um, plays into this. If you know if you're, you know if you're in a situation yeah. where maybe you're not really feeling your best that day, um, you know sometimes you get a little of the mm-hmm. old brain fog, and you get out there and you're just not thinking well. Um, because of how you're feeling, maybe you were up late the night before or something, uh, or what have you, and uh, or for whatever reason you're just not feeling your, at your best. Um, sometimes you mm-hmm. make rash decisions that way because if, uh, you know you're you're not feeling your best, you out of frustration, you just say, well, you know, I'm just going to hit this and whatever and move on. You know, ultimately right. you end up adding to maybe an already struggling round. You've now added another bad shot, mm-hmm. and then that makes you even feel worse. So um, yeah. sometimes. If you're not feeling at your best, maybe an even more conservative approach to how you play is needed. So, you know, again, using that example of 230 yards, okay, um, maybe what I can do instead is instead of trying to 
go for that birdie or what have you, um, I'm going to hit two shots to get on the green. And even if I two putt, mm-hmm. fine, I may come away with right. a bogey, but at least it's not a double bogey or it's not worse. I haven't, you know, hit a ball out of, out of bounds or That's what right. have you. So, right, right. So you have to, it becomes a percentage. How likely are you going to be uh, successful in hitting that shot as opposed to maybe hitting two shots uh, and getting it uh, on the green? So a lot of strategy comes in. So this brings me to the next point that I want you to talk a little bit about, and that's, you know, being results driven. Um, we all want to, um, you know, become better players, and that's ultimately, it's not just a matter of being a better ball striker and that, that's obviously important, but we want to have better results. And, you know, you provide a lot of coaching and training for individuals and groups and so forth uh, to really elevate their, you know, uh, and, and, you know, uplift their unlimited uh, potential, if you will. Um, again, mm-hmm. what are some things that you're doing in, in, from your standpoint uh, are needed to make somebody get better results? What are you looking for and um, what are you doing specifically that's helping people unlock some of that uh, unhidden, uh, if you will, um, results-driven uh, uh, potential? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, you evaluate physically who you are as a person. That's what I do with a lot of my players is because a lot of my players sometimes have mobility issues. Um, and if if they have some mobility issues, then we give them, them we give them some stretching exercises so that they can increase, for example, like disassociation between your upper body and your lower body. Um, and that's where, you know, yoga for golf is incredibly good for that. Um, the other thing is, you know, after they, you know, if they're hitting shots, and they're not hitting them so well, what I do is we ask them, okay, so what do you think is going on in regards to when you're playing? What's the difference between when you're playing and you're practicing? You know, are you just, what's the difference mentally in regards to when you're hitting shots on the, you know, on the practice range versus what's the difference when you're playing when you're hitting shots? Um, and I go through a lot of that in regards to helping people understand you know, are you, you know, are you thinking golf or are you playing golf? And there's a big difference. And that's why I say, you know, we want to be, um, we want to be on the right side. We want to be creative when we're playing golf. We don't want to be thinking golf. Um, so that's one of the things that I ask them is like, okay, so if you hit a shot and it doesn't go where you want it to go, for example, for the first thing I'll ask them is what was good about this one? What was good about it? You know, let's stay on the good side of it first. And then, you know, they'll tell me what, you know, what was good about it. And I said, well, okay, so what do you think you could have done different? And it's not that it's a bad shot. It's just what do you think you could have done different with it? And then my next right. question is, would be, would be how would you do it different? What would, what would change? You know, what, if you did it differently, how, do, how would you change it? You know, so, for example, maybe they – you know, standing there hitting a, a driver off the first tee and they sliced it. And I'll ask him, okay, so what do you think, you know, what do you think you could have done differently? And and it could be it could be their mindset. It might not be physical. It might be just a total right. mindset. And then I'd ask him, all right, so how would, you, how would you do it differently? So if it was a mindset question, for example, and they're like, well, I was thinking I was going to slice the ball. And I'm like, well, what, what do you think you just, what do you, why do you think you sliced the ball? Because you're thinking about the slice. So, right. <laughs> so, and a, a, 
don't be afraid to hit a straight shot is what I would tell them, you know, in in that sense. Um, But then I would say, okay, so how would you do it differently, you know? And, again, a lot of it is mindset because a lot of people – you know, I I do a key exercise with when I speak in front of large groups and I give everybody a key and I give everybody a clock and there's a dot in the middle of the clock. And um, so I just, I tell them, I said, okay, pick the key up with the string and everybody just kind of um, sits there and the key is quiet. Now all I'm going to tell you is say, okay, I just want you, I don't want you to move the key, but I want you to think about 12 to 6, 12 to 6, 12 to 6. And the energy that creates that thought, and they're all, everybody's like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> I'm like, well, your thoughts are things and your thoughts are energy. So you have to be very careful right. about what you're doing when you're, when you're over that. So that's one of the, um, one of the exercises, exercises I show everybody with the keys because it's just people are blown away by, wow, I'm not moving the key, but my thoughts are moving the key. And I said, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's all about the mental side as well, but mm-hmm. on the physical side too, um, you have to create. You got to create movement. And you got to create some clubhead speed. But um, for for most people, it's um, you know I would say it's like a little bit of mental and a little bit of of, of the physical side of it, both sides of it. And and well said. And and you know this is so true because we and and I like the the the. Um, you know, what you did, the, the, the example that you gave, because it's so true, you know, people don't realize that really everything around us is energy. Um, and the energy that you put out, if it's negative or positive, does actually work in, in affecting uh, the outcome of things. And people don't realize that, you know, they say, mm-hmm. well, I'll just, you know, hocus pocus, not it's not. Um, and that's why you see um, what happens. Well, no, it's true, because what happens is if, if people yeah. have, you know, for, I'll give you a good example, and we'll obviously relate it to golf. You know, I've, I've talked about this many times over the over the years on the show. If you have somebody that is bringing their baggage from, you know, two rounds ago, terrible round, mm-hmm. hit bad shots, all kinds of slices, hooks, you know, whatever, the whole mixed bag, and they're now bringing it to the first tee of a new round, Yeah. ultimately what's going to yeah. ha- end up happening is this round, I don't care how much they practice, is going to be equal if not even more uh, challenging for them because they're, they're ha- it's like, you know, Cindy and I, of course, uh, joke about this. I've said this many times. It's like dragging luggage, um, you know, in the terminal at the airport. You know, do you want to be yeah. lugging one bag or do you want four or five? And, you know, <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. They're schlepping their luggage, you know, down to, to get over to the, to the gate to get on their flight. And, People don't realize that bringing all that negative energy with you, um, and then it's scientifically been proven, so it's not, you know, again, some, some hokum that we're, we're talking about. And, and what I always try to encourage people to do is even if you're not successful in hitting a great shot, you're exactly right in your analogy is let's focus on first what was right, what you did right about that, and then mm-hmm. analyze what was wrong. Okay, for example, maybe the club selection you picked wasn't the right club. Okay, so we made a, a bad choice there. That's okay. So next time we know when we're faced that situation, we need to be extra careful to make sure we choose the right club. And once we do make that choice, be confident with it. 
Um, you know, it could be, right. um, you know, what I talked about before is taking on more um, than what your ability, um, you know, uh, is, is able to, to put together. So, you know, if you're not mm-hmm. a really solid ball striker and if 30% of the time you can't pull this shot off, then why are you trying to hit it? And, right. you know, this goes right. into what you talked about, the physical and mental side, is it's not just about getting your mind set right. That's important. But it's also making good choices, getting your mind in a positive frame and saying, okay, I'm going to play today knowing what my abilities are coming in. I've warmed up. I know what kind of shots I can bring to the, to the course. And I'm going to use my, my mental side of the game in conjunction with the physical side of the game to make sure I'm making sound and clear choices that are going to give me the highest percentage of success out in the golf course. I still may not break 100, but I know that the choices right. that I'm going to make are going to be successful because I'm being realistic in my expectations. And I think that's what it boils down right. to. Would that be accurate? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I just think there are so many people that, when I want to say ruin their golf shot with their pre-shot routine is they really don't have one. And I think that a lot of the times where is, you know, the pre-shot routine is so important to understand, okay, where do you really want to go? Don't be, don't be, don't bring in the focus of where you don't want to go. Focus on where you want to go. You know, it's just like a, you know, your internal GPS system. Um, You have to be careful what you turn on and turn off. And, Mm-hmm. I think that's really important, and and that's why you know I tell people is like you know your your words are your beliefs, so you better be careful of you know what are you saying to yourself physically or I should say mentally inside of your you know your what's your self talk, and you know because where your focus goes, your shots will go. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, um, and we're we're all guilty of it. We've all done it from time to time, um, so. Let's talk about the mind game for just a second. So if if you're trying to get somebody to be a better steward of their mind game, what are some tips mm-hmm. uh, or strategies that you could recommend for the listeners out there that they could incorporate right now and, and work on moving forward that's going to help them have a better mindset but also use their mind correctly when they're out in the golf course? Are there some drills or are there some things that you can encourage them to do that's going to help them have a more positive mindset when they get out there. And then we'll talk briefly on the physical side as well. Yeah, I think that, you know, like my, the second chapter of my book is how thoughts, emotions, and actions dictate your golf shot. So the first thing is like, okay, like we talked about is what are you thinking about? Um, and how do you feel about over the, when you're standing over the ball? So emotions have a lot to do with, um, you know, how you feel when you're standing over the ball. Um, and then because your thoughts and your emotions and your actions create that golf shot. So the first thing I tell people is, like, do you feel positive when you're standing over the ball? You know, if you don't feel very good about the or standing over the ball, get away from it. You know, start the pre-shot, pre, start the, you know, pre-shot over again. Because I want you to feel really good when you're standing over the ball. I want you to have belief when you're standing over the ball. Because if you believe that you'll be able to hit it, Chances are 80% of the time you'll probably, I mean, nobody's perfect. Even the golf pros on television, nobody's perfect. Um, right. But if you, have a strong, if you have a stronger belief when you're standing over the ball, you, your actions are different. 
um, regards to the, the way your body reacts to um, your thoughts. So that's one of the first things that I just like, okay, what are you thinking about? You know, how, how are, are, you, are you in a positive emotional state or are you in a negative emotional state? That's the first thing I talk to them about in regards to what are you feeling like over the ball? Do you feel like you, you trust yourself or don't you trust yourself? If you don't trust yourself, you better get away from that golf ball because your emotions drive your actions. Just right. like, you know, in life. <laughs> just like in life. Right. So um, that's one of the things that I always tell all my students is like, okay, if you have a positive emotion about the shot, you're, you're 80% there's an 80% chance you're going to do a lot better than if you had a negative emotion standing over the golf shot. Um, because you're, um, like I said, your body dictates, your emotions dictate your actions. And it's just like in, you know, everyday life. If you're not feeling very good about, um, you know, driving to a movie or driving to wherever you're going to go, you're not going to enjoy the experience. So, that's one of the things I always talk to my my players about is like, you know, I want you to feel good about what you're doing and standing over the ball. Make a good decision about what you, what you really want out of this outcome. Um, that's one of the the biggest things that you know I teach everybody is like I want you to feel positive about it. And if you don't, then start your pre-shot routine over and get out of it. And people are like, well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have slow play, and I'm like, no, you're not gonna have slow play. It's okay. Get away from the ball. Start the you know pre-shot routine all over again. Step into the play box and hit the shot because you're going to have a different outcome if you're in a negative emotion versus a positive emotion. Yeah, and and that's a really good point because here's something that a lot of people I guarantee do not do, um, and this is something that you can do when you're at the practice tee is work on your pre-shot routine, not just the steps, but work on. Right. A situation where you 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 know you've created a scenario. Let's say in your mind, you're saying, "Okay, I'm going to go for that flag out there," and I know it's uh, you know 185 yards. You know, I've got my five iron. Let's say if that's the club that I normally would hit at that distance and and um, you know regularly um, with any sort of consistency. Um, what I want to do is I want to mm-hmm. go through my pre-shot routine. So if I do that yeah. and let's say I don't feel comfortable, then that's when I'm going to back away and go through it. So you want to practice. You don't want to just practice the pre-shot routine, but practice making sure that you're comfortable when you've gone through the routine and you're ready to now play and hit execute the shot, that you're doing it with confidence. And if you're not, so the whole idea for doing that is so that when you get out on the golf course and you run into that scenario, you'll be able to do it with such proficiency and such ease that you won't have to Mm -hmm. worry about slow play because that's what the pros do. I mean, the pros do the same thing. Occasionally, they might get written up for slow play, but for the mm-hmm. most part, they're able to realize as they go through that if something is not right, whether it's the uh, you know the uh, noise from the crowd uh, has has overwhelmed them a little bit, or they're just not confident mm-hmm. uh, for some reason. Maybe they have picked the wrong club. They will stop, and then they will go through that routine yes, again. Will. But they're able to do that, right? Yep. So. That's what they need to be practicing, Absolutely. not just hitting golf shots, but practicing their pre-shot routine while they're on the practice team. Yes. So that when you get on the golf course, you're doing it with confidence every time. And when something happens and you're not feeling comfortable, you're able to reevaluate and reassess very quickly and get back into that pre-shot routine with whatever changes may, may have needed to be made 
but you'll do it in a, in a quick uh, order. But you can't do that if you don't practice, and I never see anybody doing that on the practice team. Yeah, that's what um yeah, that's what I teach my players is like, you know, once you feel like your mechanics are good, then it's time to practice your pre-shot routine. Cuz your mechanics are already there. You can you, mm-hmm. you you know what you you know what you're doing. So, now let's practice your pre-shot routine because most you're right. Most people are out there um hitting golf shots and they don't even have a pre-shot routine or their pre-shot yep. routine is different every time they hit a different shot. Oh yeah. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could write a, you could write a book and, on that. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, go ahead. And yeah, so I just tell that's why you know I totally agree with you. It's like when you are practicing, this is practice playing golf. It's not just practicing mechanics. It's practicing playing golf, which means your pre-shot routine is part of your play. Is part of the playing, uh, you know, uh, of playing golf. And if you don't practice your pre-shot routine, then every shot when you go out and play golf is going to be different. And we don't want it to be different. We want it to say, we want the, I mean, I know they've, they've done studies with, um, you know, PGA and LPGA players, and their pre-shot routine is usually within six to eight seconds before they hit a mm-hmm. golf shot. And it's consistent. And you can, I mean, you can put a stopwatch on them and just say, oh, wow, this is like six, eight seconds that they're hitting shots. Because they know what they're doing in regards to that routine. They practice that over and over and over and over again. So they're like, that's just, that's, you know, it's six to eight seconds, boom, I'm going to hit a golf shot. Because they practice their routine. And I think that's one of the issues, yeah. You know, I always see a lot of students who, and, and just, you know, a lot of times when I go up, uh, you know, to the range, whether it's work or, or just for my own, you know, pleasure, I'll go up and hit some balls myself. And I always look down the range. I always put myself in a position that I can see what's going on. And, you know, I'll hit a few mm-hmm. shots myself, and then I'll kind of watch everybody else. And I see them doing the same things. You know, they'll be up there for an hour. You know, this is not a warm-up. This is an actual, you know, they're going through their steps and whatever. And I'll see them you know, they'll be sort of all over the map. They'll maybe spend on the long game, they'll, you know, mm-hmm. hit a bunch of balls, and then they'll maybe go over to the, the practice green and they'll chip, and, and, and which is great. You've got to do those things. But you don't see them mm-hmm. working on the actual playing. And you can do that on the range by, again, visualizing the shot. So, you know, if, if you're there for an hour, you don't need to, you know, spend, you know, 25 minutes on the short game, 20 minutes on this, and 20 minutes on that. Um, basically just hitting mm-hmm. shots and then not actually practice playing. So I like to break it down and right. say, okay, let's spend 30 minutes that you're going to work on all aspects of the game, the short game, so on and so forth, and, you know, hitting maybe mm-hmm. 10, 15 or so shots with each, you know, club that you want to use that particular day. And then mm-hmm. I want you to take um, maybe 10 minutes where you're going to focus on practicing your, your pre-shot routine. And yeah. getting it down yeah. so that every shot, and then maybe the other 15 or 20, whatever's left, now you're going to play some shots on on the, the practice tee that are going to emulate the course yeah. that you're going to be playing, either that day or later. So, you know, you're, you're, you're practicing with a purpose, right? And, and not just going yeah. out there hitting golf shots. And, and I'm not saying you don't practice these short shots and chips and putts and all that. You've got to do that. 
but people spend way too much time on that, but then they don't know how to put it all together. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree because I think there's just everybody is like when you like you just said when you go to a practice range and you just see people hitting balls, hitting balls, hitting balls, hitting balls. Professionals don't do that. Professionals no. do what? They're they'll go and practice a few little twenty minutes over in the short game area, um, and they'll come back to the range a little bit. But they also they practice their pre-shot routine before they go play. So that they have yep. that, what I call ritual, because it is a ritual. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their own, um, you get to create your own pre-shot routine. So it's your own ritual. Um, and, you know, for me, my ritual is very simple. I just like, okay, this is where I'm going. <laughs> yep. I'm like, I'm going to well, go right and there. If you, and that, yeah, and if you yeah. ever watch the pro, yeah, if you ever watch the pros on on the day that they're playing, what they will do is the first few shots, they'll just hit shot after shot. That's a warm-up for them. They're getting their, their muscles warmed mm-hmm. up. They'll, you know, they'll do some stretching. You'll see them do that because I've, I've you know, been on the practice tee and, and on the, uh, the, you know, uh, before they go out and, and play their round. And I'll watch these guys very intently, and I'll watch how they – you know, everybody has a little bit different style, but essentially they'll warm up a little bit, they'll stretch and whatnot, and they'll hit a few warm-up shots, start going through mm-hmm. their routine. You know, whatever club they're yeah. going to hit next, they'll actually go through the routine. So initially when you see them hitting a few shots like that, that's just the warm-up part. That's just they're going to take five minutes and warm up, make sure everything's loose and, and ready to go, and then they'll actually start, you know, preparing for what they're going to be faced with out in the golf course. So maybe if they're, you know, they want to see how their driver's going to yep. be that day. And, you know, they're not going to go through every club in the bag because it's not a full warm-up session or a full, you know, uh, teacher assessing. What mm-hmm. they're doing is they're just warming up in preparation, but they actually go through their, their pre-shot routine, and they're selecting specific clubs that they know they're going to be dealing with a lot out in the golf course. Um, you know, mm-hmm. most pros are not hitting all 14 clubs anymore. So, you know, they know that there's certain clubs that are going to be um, used more than others. So that's what they're focusing on. They're trying to get a gauge of how they're going to be playing that particular day. And that's what they're working on. And then they yeah. go out and they play, right? Whereas, yeah. you know, the amateurs yeah. do the opposite. You know, they're out there and beating balls, and by the time they get to the first tee, they're already sore and stiff and, and whatnot, uh, yeah. you know, because they've, they've just hit a bunch of balls, but without any, with any sort of thought process going into it. Um, I, I want to jump to something here and just give you a few moments to talk about this. Um, I, I know as many pros do now, you know, you host a, a number of different, whether it be a peak performance or personal development workshop. Um, and, and training session, mm-hmm. you might have, a, it could be a one or even as much as a three-day. Um, tell us a little bit of the difference why, you know, as opposed to just, you know, somebody coming up for a 30-minute or an hour-long lesson where they're getting, you know, maybe a specific, uh, you know, dialing in of, of your instruction on, um, you're offering these for a specific reason so that people can come for a couple of days, maybe even three days, depending on what's available. Mm-hmm. What is it they're pulling away? Why is it important for somebody to maybe consider doing something like a one to a three day as opposed to just an hour lesson here and there? What, what are they getting from that as opposed that they're not getting from just maybe an hour lesson? Well, I think the, you're getting the, um, I want to say the whole process. So, and I, I think you just have to educate. You got to, I'd like to educate my students. So, so whether or not it's a one day or a three day, um, we talk about, 
we talk about everything. We talk about the pre-shot routine. We talk about the post-shot routine. We talk about emotions. We talk about right brain, left brain. We talk about, um, you know, and the, one of the questions I always ask, and the first question I always ask all my students is, why do you play golf? Because they, you know, and I said, what's your, what's the real why? Because a lot of people are like, well, I don't know what my real why is. And because the, 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 what I want to say, the why question is, you know, what do you enjoy about golf? What do you, why, why do you like to play, you know? And some of them will say, you know, I just, I love being outside, for example. Or other ones will say, I like playing with other people. Or I like to play with my friends. I like to play with my girlfriends. I like to play with my boyfriends, whatever that may be. And then I say to them, my other question to them would be like, so within that why, what makes you feel so good that you want to keep coming out, you know, mm-hmm. because there's an emotion, there's an emotional attachment to it. And a lot of them are like, wow, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's a reason why, you know, there's a reason why you you keep coming out. So what, what draws you to the game? Is it, you know, is it, um, you know, being outside? Is it uh, um, hitting good golf shots? Is it, um, you know, everybody's going to have their own fun little why. I did a, I did a golf camp with um, Lisa Longbow at Wigwam this last year, and every one of the, the ladies that I asked them about it, you know, they all kind of looked at me like, you never really thought about my why. And I'm like, well, I think you need to come up with one. You know, let's find, <laughs> let's find your real why. <laughs> um, and they all they like, oh, I never really thought about it. And I said, okay, so my challenge, because it was three days long, and I said, my challenge to you is going to be, it's like, come back tomorrow with your why. And then and you make sure you tell me what your why is. Um, and I think that's one of the, the biggest issues because, you know, everybody plays golf for different reasons. And I, I just think that, you know, I mean, I the reason I play is because I love being outside and I love hitting go- good golf shots. But... That doesn't right. happen every day, <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, um, unfortunately, you're right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so that's that's just one of the things that that I talk about, um, you know, in my all my three day programs is like, um, and then we just go through my, we just go through my book and we go through each of the chapters of understanding, and, you know, your which we talked about a little bit before is like you know your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions dictate your golf shots. And then we talk about, um, you know, golf is very mindful, but, you know, what are you thinking about in regards to, and then I just give them tools for being mindful on the golf course. And then I just tell them, then, you know, that uh, we kind of go through the, uh, where your focus goes, your energy is going to go. Um, and mm-hmm. your golf shots will go there because that's what you're thinking about. Um, and then we, we cover all of the, um, you know, the other part of it is like your words become your beliefs. So you have to be careful about what kind of verbal language you're using with yourself in regards to understanding what kind of, of, of a belief system do you actually have with your, with your own self. And then we just talk about tools for, you know, peak performance, like, you know, the pre-shot routine. And, and then I also, I tell people, it's like, okay, the number two tool would be like, what's your post-shot routine? Because a lot of people mm-hmm. don't have a post shot routine, and so I just we go through all of that in the sense that you know what's 
And the post-shot routine is always about, you know, what what was good about the shot, not what was bad about it, but what was good about it. You know, and we right. kind of we kind of break it down from that, and then we just and then we talk about, you know, what could have been better, and then not about um, something that you did negatively, but if you wanted to do it differently, how would you do it differently? So it's it's focus on yep. you know the positive result of changing it rather than um, understanding like well I didn't do it very I didn't do it right I'm like no it's not, that's not the point the point is how would you change it and then that's what we right. we, and, we talk a lot about yeah yeah and and really what what the sort of the post shot routine as well is really is an assessment of what's just taken place. And it allows you an opportunity yeah. to redefine, you know, what it is that you've done and look at it from a different yeah. perspective and say, okay, you know, it, it's almost like you're now taking it and looking at it from an outsider's view and say, okay, you're, it's almost like as though they're becoming the teacher now and say, okay, well, here, here's what your student has done. Now I want you to analyze exactly it, right. talk about, right? Yeah. And that's essentially what you're doing is you're now putting yourself, and I'm talking about the player now, is you're putting yourself in the coach's mm-hmm. position um, and that's why sometimes it's so great to have, you know, video tape of your, and people now with, with technology, <coughs> pardon me, um, with phone technology and so forth, you can, you know, videotape yourself um, hitting different shots. Mm-hmm. And it's always good to, to review that and look at it um, so that you can get a, a gauge and see, okay, yeah, you know, I, I see here, you know, I'm hitting the club pretty good, but I'm always coming up short. So it's not that I need to change how I swing the club. Maybe I need to change the club I'm selecting because I'm not getting the distance I want. Um, you know, they're always saying, well, Correct. I want more distance. I want more distance. Well, you know what? The easiest way to more distance is to select a, a different club. Um, you know, instead of hitting a right. seven iron, maybe mm-hmm. hit the six iron. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, you know, so people have to, it, it gives them a clear view, if you will, of what's really going on and then making an informed decision. And that's what the pros do. If you look at even uh, the younger pros, and, and you're right, the, the why is such an important thing. Because, you know, if you're somebody, if you're, let's say you're a younger player, junior, and you have aspirations of not necessarily playing on the tour, but maybe you want to be uh, play collegiate uh, golf because you're wanting to earn a scholarship and you just want to play competitive golf, but you're not necessarily wanting to, to go all the way. Um, then you're going to approach mm-hmm. the game a little bit differently than somebody that just wants to go out for, you know, have a weekend fun uh, you know, round with some friends or, or loved ones, as you said, their partner, what have you. So uh, again, understanding mm-hmm. why you're there and why you want to play the game um, is, is important because it, it dictates your approach. Obviously, if you're wanting to be more competitive, then you're going to take and, and, and invest more time to get to that level. And if you don't care whether, you know, every shot's hit perfectly, which obviously is, is, uh, uh, you know, sort of an oxymoron, but because um, it doesn't exist, there is no such <laughs> as every shot perfect. But the point is that, right? Right. So the idea is you want to be able to um, look at it objectively, and that's the best way to do it. Um, just as we get ready, because we only got a few minutes left, and I obviously want to give you a chance at the end to, as I always do, to let the folks know. Um, you had mentioned earlier, you know, things like yoga, and I know that you're uh, TPI certified, which is Titleist Performance Institute uh, certified. You're a golf fitness mm-hmm. certified trainer, um, and you have multiple certifications in, in all different uh, genres and that. So well-versed, not just as a golf instructor, but other areas that obviously complement. Um, 
the purpose here with a lot of the, and, and also um, you hold a master in uh, educational psychology, so you're looking from the mind game as well. So it's not just about ball striking as we talked about earlier. It's about making your physical body in as best shape, and that doesn't mean you have to work out like crazy, but doing things that are going to enhance your ability to play better. Yes. Yeah, and I think the the biggest word out there is what's called disassociation, and the um, disassociation is the difference between your lower body and your upper body. And if anybody's interested, they can just email me because I've got like a, it's just a five-minute, you're just laying down on the ground, and it's a, um, it increases your disassociation between your lower body and your upper body. And all it is is really just stabilizing your upper body and, mobili- and mo- mobilizing your lower body. Um, it's just a five-minute stretching routine that I give to all my players because most of them don't have that disassociation. And they don't know that they don't really understand what disassociation is. And um, just like in the backswing, you know, you turn your shoulders and you only turn your shoulders 90 degrees, but your, um, you know, your lower body only turns about 42 degrees, for example. Right. And, but on the downswing, but on the downswing, your hips are completely gone through. Um, mm-hmm. And most people don't have that mobility to disassociate between their upper body and their lower body. So, um, yeah, that's the biggest thing is the disassociation. Most people don't have it because they just um, they don't work at it. For example, you know, because they don't know it. They don't they don't know the difference between um, moving their moving the lower body versus moving their upper body. And yeah, so yeah, it's just a it's like a six minute six minute exercise that you just you know you're working you're stabilizing your shoulders and you're moving your hips and then you basically move your shoulders and you stabilize your hips and that's that's one of the biggest issues with a lot of players that I see. Yeah, and it's so important too, you know, to understand and you know if you're working with with and I'm you know talking to the audience here if you're working with a golf instructor. Um, some are um, certified in, in variety of different genres, as, as Sue is, and some aren't. And if mm-hmm. they're not, then usually they have somebody that they've partnered with that maybe is uh, golf fitness certified, and they can refer you, yeah. you know, to them and whatnot. And if they're not themselves, because um, you want to make sure they are. And, and same thing with yoga. I mean, yoga is not just yoga. I mean, there are different types of yoga mm-hmm. that are specific yeah. to. So you don't want to be doing, you know, just say, well, I'm taking a yoga class, so I'm fine. No, there's certain. Uh, things that are conducive to uh, helping your golf game, um, you know, different mm-hmm. stretches and things like that and, and positions. So you want to make sure you're doing it right. Um, and uh, Sue, if you don't mind, I would love just for my own uh, reference, after we, we uh, go off air, you and I, um, maybe you could mm-hmm. email me, um, you know, that uh, what you were just talking about. I would love to, to take a look at that. Um, who knows? You know, I'm getting older. Oh, I, yeah. need to do, I need to get on the floor and get some stuff as well. So. <laughs> But, uh, but um, and I promise I'll just uh, keep it for myself. But, but you know, it's important. So I, I want to give you just a, a moment or two if you want to let the folks know uh, where they can reach out for you because I think, you know, we didn't talk about a lot of these different things um, because I want them to be able to go to you and, and you can help them with so many of it. As I mentioned, you're uh, Yoga for Golfers certified, um, Titleist uh, Performance mm-hmm. Institute, um, and, and many other certifications. So uh, I'm going to send them to you. Um, or let you give them the information to, to go to you and uh, and reach out and communicate and you can uh, you know uh, put your expertise to work and help some folks out there so um, 
But Sue, I want to thank you very much. It's been an interesting discussion. I think we've touched on a number of different topics. Um, and again, I think these are areas of the game that are really overlooked by a lot of our amateur golfers, particularly pros seem to know a lot of things that we're talking about, obviously um, with the mind game and obviously the physical game, it's not just about hitting balls up at the range. There's a whole component to becoming a better player. And that's ultimately what you want to be is not, you don't want to be a range rat. You want to be a better player. And so some of the things that we talked about uh, here, but Sue, go ahead and, and give out your information to let the folks know how they can reach out to you. And uh, obviously if you want to do a quick plug again for your book, uh, by all means, go ahead. Yeah, you can get my book, um, Golf Left Six Inches, Change Your Brain, Change Your Game. It's on Amazon. Um, you can reach out reach out to me at any time. I'm at um, swieger at com. My cell phone is 480-392-6563. And, um, yeah, I just uh, – I always enjoy our talks, Ted, so I, I greatly appreciate you. Well, thank you, and, and I always enjoy them as well. And, you know – as I've said to uh, you know everybody here, and I, we talked a little earlier before uh, going live, you know the real purpose of this program is really to not just get into you know obviously we can't get into really deep uh, discussions here on instruction that because we don't have the benefit of visual, um, but the idea is to sort of lay the groundwork for people to get a better understanding of really how they can become better players. Um, again. You know, a lot of people get frustrated. It's a, it is a challenging game. There's no doubt, but it can, um, you'll never master it. Um, even the best players in the world will tell you that, but you can certainly improve, uh, become a, a, a peak performance golfer, at whatever level you want. Once you understand the why, of course, uh, why you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best way to do that is to reach out to the instructors that are on the program. So, um, Sue, thank you very much for joining me tonight. It's been an interesting conversation. And again, you can contact her at the, the information provided and, uh, and check her out and check out her book. It's available at Amazon.com. But Sue, thank you very much. I appreciate you spending some time with me this evening. And I look forward to the next time when you join me in Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Ted. Have a great weekend. All right. That was uh, Sue Weger um, talking uh, with me on Coach's Corner uh, segment here. A lot of different things. I said some great nuggets. I'm going to be joined by my very special guest here in just a moment, but uh, first let's hear a message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, Simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, and uh, thank you for joining me this evening on Golf Talk Live. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if for some reason, uh, you're not able to listen to the entire broadcast live. Of course, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. You can uh, basically go to the link blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive and just scroll down to the on-demand section. And uh, after uh, the end of the show, um, it will be there in the recorded version in its entirety. And also, if you've missed some of the previous episodes and you want to go back and listen to some older ones, uh, they're all there uh, in order uh, from the most recent, obviously being tonight's 
uh, and working backwards. And we've got 11 seasons of them, so there's a lot of good information there. All right, I'm very excited to, to have uh, tonight's guest. We're going to talk about a number of different things, but um, let me introduce him first. His name is Sean Slater. He's the Senior Brand and Product Manager for Pride Sports and Soft Spikes. Uh, he oversees their product creation and brand marketing initiatives for both the uh, groups. And uh, with more than 12 years' experience working for major brands like New Balance and Titleist, he is no stranger to developing products built to help athletes perform on the world's biggest stages. Uh, Sean spends his days working closely with amateurs, tour players, and major shoe brands uh, to ensure that golfers are maximizing their performance on the course through the use of the latest in traction technologies, which we're going to talk about. Uh, he received his bachelor's degree in business administration and marketing from Elmira College and holds a master's degree in marketing from Leeds Beckett University in England. So please welcome my very special guest this evening, Sean Slater. Good evening, Sean. Welcome. Hi, Ted. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing this evening? Uh, very, very well. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. My pleasure. So let me, before we get into some of the specifics, I always like to, especially with first-time guests that come on the show, just to get an idea. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, why golf? You know, what, what's the appeal to golf? Everybody has their own story. So just give me a little idea. Uh, a bit of your background as to how you got involved in golf. Did you play a little bit uh, earlier in your in your life and, and just sort of got bitten by the bug as many do, or did you come a little bit later in life as others have? So just give us a little background about your first early experience in golf. Sure. Um, yeah, I definitely got bit by the bug, and I got bit early. Um, I think I was in maybe fifth grade. Um, I started caddying at a local, local private country club because it was – one of the few jobs that I could do being, being under 16 years old. Um, nobody in my family played, uh, so I didn't have much knowledge of it, but went through the, the kind of process to, to become a caddy and, and learn the game and, and kind of the etiquette piece and uh, spent every weekend, uh, every all day Saturday, all day Sunday, um, kind of looping and, and kind of fell for it and fell in love with it and um, took total advantage of being able to play on, on caddy Mondays when the course was closed for um, – for maintenance and and just kind of never look back. I've been I've been hooked ever since. Um, yeah, I, from I a, think from a, I think that's. Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. Sorry, sorry. Just uh, from a career standpoint, I've um, been kind of very fortunate to work in, in sporting goods for the majority of my career. Um, call it passion industries some, for some things that align with kind of my my passions and, and uh, interests outside of work. I, I grew up playing lacrosse as well, played in college, and that was where I I started um, kind of my product and sporting goods background. And, and uh, as I got a little bit older and played a little bit less lacrosse and a little bit more golf, um, was fortunate enough to, to kind of make the transition at that point. Yeah, it, and, um, you know, it's interesting. I played a very, when I say little, very little lacrosse earlier on in my uh, <laughs> Uh, life. I'm I'm obviously older than you are, but uh, and uh, it, it can be it presents its own challenges. But uh, I still think uh, golf is is a little bit more challenging uh, for most, and and I think that's I think part of the appeal. Um, I think that people, it, it doesn't matter what level you're at, you get out there, and it just takes that one, maybe two, really good shots that come off the the club face, and you're hooked. And then it's very difficult, um, you know, to really pull away from them. some people will pull away for short periods of time but again they'll maybe pull those uh, clubs out and dust them off and go up to the range again and next thing you know they're back into it again so 
everybody's got their story. Um, so I want to ask you, um, because we're going to talk about, um, we're not talking about shoes per se, we're talking about the spikes and the technology. We're going to get into a little bit of that in a moment. But I think this is an area, and I'm excluding the pros, because obviously they know what they're doing, but amateurs, um, you know, it's nice, you want to have a, a good looking golf shoe and that, but there's technology in there that's available now um, that really sets it apart from what it was maybe 30 years ago. But I want you to answer this question first, and that is, why is traction in golf important? A lot of people don't understand this. It's not just about having great-looking shoes. Um, it's also about the uh, performance and stability of these shoes. Tell us a little bit about why traction is important. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, it's stability. Stability is a key word. Uh, we talk about it every every day. And what we're able to do um, – you know, with replaceable traction is is almost fine-tune the performance of a shoe. Um, just like golfers go out and they get fit for irons and drivers and shafts and, and even grips, um, we provide golfers the ability to, to kind of dial in the performance um, from a traction perspective um, so that they get the most stable base they possibly can for their swing. And, and um, you know, that all, as you know, translates to – to, um, uh, hit, you know, find the center of the club face and ball striking. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of people, I mean, I think most golfers are, are starting to, you know, to wake up and, and realize, um, you know, Nicholas always talked about, you know, I'm talking about Jack Nicholas, of course, one of the uh, all-time best golfers out there. You know, he always talked about that golf starts from the ground up. And, you know, if you're slipping and sliding all over the place, you know, years ago, um, and I'm dating myself now, we had the metal spikes. Uh, and, you know, you didn't move. I mean, the earth moved before you did. Um, and, you know, they were great, but they, you know, caused a lot of damage to particularly the greens. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they uh, were replaced with, the, with a softer spike. And uh, that's what we're going to we'll talk about here in a moment. Um, and it actually provides a better traction now than what the, the original um, metal spikes did. So is there a market need? What, what is the need right now in the market from your perspective? Um, you've seen it from both sides as playing, but also now in the business side of things. What is the market need, do you think? The, the need is performance. And um, what we deliver in terms of performance and the ability to customize and tweak and, and get your shoe dialed um, is is really what what I think the market needs, right? And I say that meaning consumers, amateurs um, don't necessarily pay the level of attention to it that tour pros do. Um, every week on tour, well, this week we just got the stats. We, 85% of the guys teaming up this week at Quillala are wearing soft spikes, right? And, and, and touring professionals, they don't mess around. They know their equipment better mm -hmm. than anybody. They test everything. The mm -hmm. data is so accessible, um, you know, just like they would test the driver shaft or, or anything for weeks and weeks and weeks before they put it into play. They do the same thing um, with footwear and, and spikes. So, um, the tour pros are, re are recognizing the performance gains that they're getting by using replaceable traction. Um, it's, it's often overlooked um, at the amateur level. So I, I would say from a market mm. need standpoint, um, not necessarily 
from a product standpoint, but from a market need, it's really education of, of the benefits of spikes and, and what people are missing out on by uh, either not changing their spikes frequently enough or by opting for spikeless shoes. Yeah, and we're going to talk uh, about both of those here in just a moment. I want to go back to something that you you just said, which was very interesting, and and really the the market need, in in other words, for for support and obviously for uh, performance. And everybody's always looking for um, you know that edge, you know whether they're playing with their weekend foursome or whether they're playing in their um, you know their local club championship, what have you. Um, they're looking for that advantage. So everybody is, of course, tuning up their game and working on that. But there's a lot to be said with having the right footwear on as well with the, with the spikes. So um, talk a little bit about that. You know, again, the technology has changed a lot. Maybe you could talk about when, and, and I, I mentioned earlier about the metal spikes, which was one thing, but then we came into a soft spike. Give us a sort of a, a, a general overview, if you wouldn't mind, at where that technology has changed from the beginning when it first started on the market when they sort of a, the, um, we call them plastic or what have you, spikes, a softer spike, to where we are now with the technology. Yeah, so you, you kind of touched on the history of the brand, right? That, that initial transition from metal spikes to plastic spikes is, you know, early 90s. Um, and you talked about the damage to the green. That's, that's kind of how we came to be, the soft spikes brand. Um, obviously, the, there was a ban on, on metal spikes at one point. Originally, it was just in the winter because it caused more damage to the greens. And then ultimately, obviously, mm. um, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the norm now that you can't wear metal uh, anywhere unless you're on tour. But the mm-hmm. um, the technology has advanced uh, in a big big way. Um, we we can we use or we have uh, a technology called um, dynamic traction, and and what that is is it, it lets you have different legs of a spike. Some will be more flexible than others, right? So you're, so there there's a comfort aspect of it without um, giving up traction. Some of them are designed to engage the turf a little bit differently in like a rotational aspect. Um, so the technology has come a long way specifically in terms of materials, but also um, layering materials, right? So that first soft spike mm-hmm. that came or first soft spike that came out, you can probably remember uh, it had eight legs. It was a solid color. There wasn't a yep. whole lot of uh, technology looking stuff. I'm sure. I mean, you know, at the time it looked technical, but compared to what you see today, um, we've come a long right. way. So that was a single single plastic, single durometer, um, you know, spikes today. We've got three different materials stacked in there and um, different proven shapes. And obviously the the testing um, and, you know, the data behind all of it is, is there now and uh, probably in a lot bigger way than it was originally. Talk about the the process, if you wouldn't mind, Sean, how a, a player chooses, and I'm not talking about tour player because that's that's a different beast. Obviously, we're we're dealing with with really our, our higher handicapper golfers, not. But obviously, there's a lot of technology that now goes into this, and I can remember when the softer spikes came on. I, and again, as you pointed out, they were more of a plastic, um, not some of the materials that are being used now, and they were very pliable. Um, you know, when you walked on them, you know, they would there would be a lot of flexibility in that. Where has that changed? Uh, is there a different type of spike? Is there some that are more flexible for different players and some that are more stiff, if you will, if, if that's the right way to put it? Is there different types yeah. of soft spikes? And I'm not talking about manufacturing or, or suppliers. I'm talking about 
within your product? Is there different, and, and what purpose does each of them play? I mean, you might have several, but what does purpose does each type play um, for the golfer? Yeah, there is. There's, uh, call it 10 or so models in our line. Each kind of has its own reason for being, um, you know, anything, for, and it all depends on, on kind of how you navigate a golf course. So when I talk about getting fit for a spike, um, you know, you look at our range, we've got stuff on the more flexible um, single material side that's going to tend to be a, a lot more comfortable to walk in and, and super green friendly. Uh, we've got some hybrid stuff that's, you know, a, a mix of uh, a mix of that and, and traction. And then we've got some really um, more durable, stiffer options, too, for, you know, the, the soggy conditions and, and um, you know, just ultimate traction. Um, and then we, we just launched a new model um, earlier this year that is, is tour-level traction. We took uh, kind of feedback from tour players and, and took all the models that mm-hmm. they liked and, and kind of blended them together to make sure that we were delivering tour-level traction to the, to the amateur golfer. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can navigate our product line. That there's something in there for everybody, and, and it's important, I think, when somebody buys shoes to make sure that um, – what's on the bottom of them is, is appropriate for their game. And you're talking about the tour flex pro. Is that right? The new model from this, from this year is the tour flex pro. Yeah. Yeah. And when you compare that to some of the others, what you said that you sort of combined a little of everything, if you will, into, into this technology, what's unique about this? Obviously it's a, it's a higher caliber, um, uh, you know, product, um, utilizing some of the technology that's come along from, you know, beginning to now. Um, but what makes this particular one a little bit different? What, how is this different, say, than some of the other ones that you're offering? What is specific about this that, um, that can you shed some light on that? Yeah, so what we did from a development standpoint on, on TorFlex Pro is, is we spent some time with tour players and we looked at who was wearing what. We get the stats every week um, of, of which players are switching into which spikes. Um, we took the two most popular models out there. One was Cyclone, uh, which is a pretty aggressive uh, rotational uh, plastic, all plastic design that we have. Um, and the other is, is um, Pro Stinger. And Pro Stinger is, is a metal uh, metal post um, that, you know, right now only available uh, to tour players for, for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Um, so what we were able right. to do is take kind of the dynamic elements in the, in the rotational aspect of Cyclone and add a center post to it, but we made that post out of, uh, out of the same kind of TPU material. So we added another point of contact. So this is our first spike that has 10 points of contact uh, with the ground, and obviously the more points of contact, the better the stability is, but we're able to emulate the performance that a tour player or um, – you know, a high-level amateur that is wearing metal gets from that center stinger post, but also add the dynamic traction and the rotational elements of Cyclone for uh, just the absolute uh, optimal traction option. And you, you mentioned that, you know, you guys do a lot of independent studies um, sort of talking about, obviously, the benefits of traction and, and things we touched on a little bit earlier. Um, and it's not just the pros that you're getting the feedback from. Obviously, you, you want to... Um, you know, target that uh, area as well because that, that's a, a, a viable market. But you're also really through a lot of your, your studies, you're looking at it from an am- amateur's perspective as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we, 
Um, we recently did a study at an independent lab. Um, we use all amateur golfers uh, with, with handicaps ranging from scratch to 18. Um, and we had them hit drives in, in a, a spikeless model and a spiked model. Uh, everything about the shoe other than spiked versus spikeless was the same. The upper was the same. The, you know, the lacing systems were all the same. The, the outsoles were the same. The only difference was the, was adding traction. Um, and what we, what we went into or what we expected heading into the test is greater traction, higher swing speeds, increased distance. Um, and what we pleasantly got back out of the test was, um, increased distance. Uh, tighter dispersion and increased consistency. And when we kind of dove deeper on the data, what we found was uh, we have a bit of a unicorn story because mm. the stability and, the, and the, the stability that the spikes were providing golfers was helping them find the center of the face. The swing wow. speed didn't increase, but mm. but by being able to consistently find the center of the face, you get all of those things. Um, which makes a ton of sense, um, but we just, you know, the hypothesis was you're grounded, you're going to swing faster, the ball is going to go further, and, um, you know, it came out much, much better than we ever expected. So an un- unintended benefit that came out from the study, um, which is, is always, you know, anytime you can make good uh, center contact on the club face, um, you know, the results are going to be good. So that's an unintended um, result from uh, from the study. So let me ask you, just based on the studies, because again, you know, as we just touched on, <clears throat> excuse me, you've, you know, you've reached out obviously to a lot of uh, uh, players on, on, you know, a variety of tours that are using these uh, soft spikes, and uh, you're getting some great feedback. What's the primary difference in feedback that you're getting from each? Because obviously the pros, they're generating much higher swing speed than most amateur golfers, uh, with maybe a few mm-hmm. exceptions. Um, so obviously their needs are, are, are much different than say some of, uh, you know, a 20 handicap. So give us an idea, just a general overview, uh, cause I, you know, and I, I want to get people going into the weeds here with uh, no pun intended, but you know, it's, it's more technical than, than probably what they need to hear, but just generally, what is it that the pro specifically are looking for and what is it doing for them? And then maybe some of our higher handicappers, what are they looking for and how is it helping them? So I think the easiest way to to kind of boil that one down is that is directionally all of the gains are the same. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and a higher handicap amateur with um, with a slower swing speed is still going to see uh, yardage and dispersion and consistency improvements, um, but with the higher swing speeds, the, those are are greater. Specifically, distance. Um, which makes sense, but the the ultimately when you look at the data and you split it any different way, the spikes are always providing those three benefits. Um, just the faster mm-hmm. you swing, the, the the greater the benefit. Yeah, because obviously the stability you know kicks in, and and uh, you know, and, and as you touched on earlier, if you're playing in in wet conditions, and that that stability is is extremely important because you know otherwise you're spinning out and and so forth. Um, you touched on earlier too, and I'd like to to get your your thoughts here. Is obviously the the cleats are replaceable uh, on on uh, these uh, what you're talking about here. Um, how often should it be done? How do you decide when? I mean, obviously, other than physically looking at them, 
uh, is there sort of a formula that you guys have found, um, again, with the various levels of golfers, when and how often they should be uh, replacing them? Yeah, so we typically say 15 rounds. Um, and that that can vary, obviously, based on, um, you know, nine holes versus 18, or if you're walking right. versus riding, or, or, you know, harder conditions versus soft. But 15 is a relatively safe number. Um, we we liken it to tires, right? You're, if the tires on your right. car are starting to wear, you can probably still drive into a certain point where you're not going to get any benefit from it. Um, but if you change them sooner than that, you're you're going to notice performance enhancements um, sooner. Right. And you, you mentioned about, um, obviously, the conditions. So, you know, for instance, if you're playing somewhere like in Florida where the ground is typically a little softer as opposed to somewhere like Texas where it's a little bit harder, um, that's going to be something that you're going to factor in as well, right? Perfect. Yep, absolutely. Well, it's good to know. See, and and see, this is things that people don't really understand. You know, they say, well, you know, and I mean, I've seen, and I hate to, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I can remember when, especially when the soft spikes, and I'm not necessarily referring to your brand or anything, but um, just as a general rule, I remember when they first come out, and and I could see people walking around, and there'd be like three of them missing off the bottom, and they'd be playing all season long, and it's like you're defeating the purpose, and it's just because they didn't yeah. know any better. So I think it's important, right? And you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you've. I uh, heard many, uh, you know, many stories to that effect. Um, you know, it's like you said, it's like tires in a car. If you want to get good performance, um, they need to be looked at and changed, you know, uh, appropriately. Obviously, they last a lot longer than, you know, soft spikes, but, um, but again, they, they need to be looked at. So how much does it cost to replace those cleats? So if you had to replace them, and again, you know, um, you're looking at it, to, you know, let's say you take a 15 round, generally, um, how uh, you mentioned how often, but typically, how much is the cost to replace them? Uh, so we sell replacement packs in, in their quantities of 18, which is going to fit every. You know, that's more than enough to to cover every um, shoe that currently comes with spikes in them. Um, and they'll retail anywhere from 15 to 20 dollars, depending on the model, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem like a lot if you start to think about performance gains, right? If you're talking, right. you're going to pick up five yards, um, you know, compared to the five yards that you get from a new driver. <laughs> it's a, it's a, right. a relatively low, low cost to, to pick that up. Yeah. And, um, you know, w- w- what's interesting, I think, is, uh, again, you know, people are always, and, and I talked, uh, about this on the earlier part of my show with with my guest at the time, um, we're we're both in the teaching side of things, and you know we talked about really um, what people are willing to do to improve. And you know sometimes, you know if you want to become a better player, they think, well, I want to get more distance, so they won't buy all new equipment. And really, it may not be the clubs that are the problem. It may be the fact that they're not a, a good ball striker or what have you, and there's other factors involved. But if you're not playing with the right equipment, meaning golf clubs, golf balls, that sort of thing, um, that can affect your performance. Conversely, obviously, if you're not playing, um, you know, with a a, a good, uh, you know, shoe that's providing good stability and traction, um, that's going to affect it because, as I mentioned earlier, um, that's the part that's, you know, attached to the ground. So, 
I think it's important, and that's very minimal. I mean, fifteen to twenty dollars is is not much um, when you have to do that. Now, obviously, people walk differently. Some people favor, you know, the outside of the foot, so parts of the cleats may wear quicker than others. Um, is it a good idea? Really, when you see that happening, and you know what I'm talking about, there's a wear pattern where you might see um, the inside of your feet, maybe those cleats, or the outside, depending on you know whether you're right-handed or left-handed golfer, might wear quicker than than the others because of the way you walk. Is it always a good idea though to replace them all to keep them consistent, or can you know? I mean, obviously, if one falls off, you can you know fairly quickly you can put one on, but um, and that's something I want to ask you about as well. But do you typically recommend that they change them all out? when they're going to change them and not just, you know, one here and one there. Yeah, I, I would. Um, it's again, like you, like your car, you don't typically replace one tire at minimum. It's two, right? It's the front or the back or, right. or kind of all right. four. So, um, and there's a good chance if, if one's worn, the, the rest are probably, if, if one is worn more than the others and one is visibly gone, um, it, there's a good chance that the others are probably not, not far behind it in terms of, of needing to be replaced. Um, but mm. one of the things that we haven't talked about that I think is important is, is you know, the 15 to $20 to replace them. One of the other considerations for that is by replacing the spikes, you're going to get more life out of your shoes. Right. Right. So that's a whole another benefit and element to the equation um, when we kind of look at the, the cost versus you know, benefit. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and yeah, the, you know, let's be honest, there's a lot of guys out there that are cheap and they don't want to buy shoes very often. And if you only have to replace the spikes, um, Hey, you know, that's a, that's a cheaper, uh, uh, way to look at things. Um, you, you touched on earlier too, about the, the cleatless shoes as well. So is there an advantage between the two wearing replaceable traction shoes, like, uh, the soft spike, uh, um, as opposed to those that, that have none, that have no removable uh, or, as you call them, cleatless shoes. What's the advantage or disadvantage one way or the other? So that was the, the um, yeah, the the test that we did was, was you know, geared at spiked versus spikeless. So the performance advantages to wearing spike shoes are, you know, from a data perspective, it's distance, uh, distance increases, reduction in dispersion, and increased consistency. Um, from a from a kind of non-performance benefit, obviously the, the length of life of the shoes is, is attractive to some folks as well. Um, it's a it's a very um, common conversation that we get into in our business. The the our kind of position on it is, is there's absolutely a place for spikeless shoes, um, but as you kind of touched on at the beginning uh, of our conversation, if you're playing in the club championship or you're um, you know, playing a match against your buddies on the weekend, you want to you want to give your best you want to put your best foot forward and, and give yourself the best chance at success. And um, obviously, the performance gains that you get from spiked shoes um, would suit that well. Um, but if you're standing on a mat and you're grooving your swing on a Sunday afternoon by yourself, um, you know, in, in a perfect lie, perfect condition, um, you know, there's a spikeless shoe that that could could fit that bill. But um, usually, when the rounds matter, they the the right play is is spikes. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I for many years I played as I as I mentioned um, they when they were around, and um, I remember when they started coming out and making that change. I found it very 
And it's like anything, you know, it takes a little while to get used to to change. Um, but now, you know, I've played the, the spike list as well. Um, the one thing I find with the spike list, obviously, is the fact that they slide a lot more. You don't get the same stability or traction. Um, but, again, it depends on the, the course conditions. So one thing I, I did want to ask you, and I remember, and this goes back to when they first sort of changed um, early on to soft spikes, one of the issues, and I'm just curious to see how they've addressed that, one of the issues that I can remember was how they were connecting to the shoe. They didn't seem to always, um, even though you tighten them and, and whatnot, sometimes they would they would pop off or very easily in that. Has that technology as well changed how they're attaching to the shoe, uh, that they're locking better um, and not coming off? I'm not saying that it's impossible, but that they're not coming off as easily as they once did, say, you know, 15 years ago? Yeah, that, that technology has, has come a long way as well, and that's actually a part that um, a lot of people may not realize is that, that we own both parts of that system. Um, so we work directly with the footwear manufacturers and help them develop the outsoles to take the soft spikes. Um, when they first were introduced, um, that kind of first transition from metal to plastic, what changed was the spike itself. What didn't change is what we call the receptacle. So that's going to be the part right. in the bottom of the shoe that, that receives the spike. Yeah. And um, you probably remember it was a small metal screw. Um, didn't yeah. really have any, any, you know, it was threaded in and it threaded out. Um, right. That that technology has changed a number of times over the over the course of the years. Um, but now the majority of spikes that you'll find in the marketplace or the majority of shoes in the marketplace uh, will use our system called Fast Twist 3.0. Um, and it's it's still a threaded system, but it's got locking mechanisms mm-hmm. in it. So as you insert the spike into the shoe, you'll, you'll hear an audible and you will feel um, a couple clicks, just like when you're swapping right. a, a fairway or a driver head and making adjustments on it, right? Yep. You can... You can feel it and you know it and you and you know it's locked in. Um, so the majority of shoes in the marketplace are using that. Um, and the advantage, um, well, one of the benefits of Fastest 3.0 is that there are some older uh, fitment systems as well that this is backwards mm-hmm. compatible with. So it fits almost everything that you could possibly find um, from the last 10 years, regardless of who made it or where it came from. Um, there's a 90% chance that Fastwist 3.0 is going to work. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and that, you know, again, you know, really what, what people want is to see improvement in their game. And it's not just, as I said, you know, it's great to get that flashy new driver out there and, you know, spend four or five, six hundred $600 on that in some cases um, and not really see any, any difference. Um, but they forget about the feet, and the feet's what's touching the ground, as I've said many times. And, you know, if you're not wearing good shoes, obviously they need to be comfortable, but if they're not, you know, if you don't have a good quality of spike on the bottom, um, you know, that's going to affect your game as well. And, you know, you've obviously done the data and done the, the work and the studies to to come up with um, some analogy as to why um, and, you know, why it works and what, people should be looking for and what the response has been. And that's why you guys are the number one spike on tour, um, you know, bar none. So, um, you know, kudos to you guys for doing that. 
Where do you see this technology going as you move forward? I mean, what's going to be next? I mean, I know you can't give any secrets or anything, but I'm just curious. Where do you see this happening um, as, as things move down the road? What, what, what's going to be next, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, we are just like every other um, manufacturer in the golf space, and I'm not, not speaking specifically to um, – to shoes or spikes, but you know, every day we go to the office and our goal is to improve performance. So if what we've done with Torflex Pro gets you five yards, um, we're in the lab, we're on the course, we're with the pros every week trying to figure out how we can make that seven or 10. Um, so we are constantly evaluating new materials, new, uh, new shapes, new uh, configurations. You know, how do we, how do we get a better design, a better material, a better configuration that's going to interact with the turf um, to help golfers play play better. Um, we want to help lower handicaps just as much as the the next, mm-hmm. um, and our goal is to deliver performance. So, um, yeah, without giving too much of a peek behind the curtain, you, right. know, you can expect ma- <laughs> material enhancements from us. You can expect new shapes. You can expect um, just a ton of different um, performance advantages and performance advantages are not always going to be track man data, right? So we talk about mm-hmm. different spikes for different folks depending on how they get around the course. Um, you know, we could be behind the scenes working on the most comfortable spike that you've ever um, you've ever mm-hmm. worn. And, and you know, our position as the you know the traction guys, it's in our DNA. We do it every day. Um, we want to make comfort without giving up performance. So that's. Um, kind of the balance that, that we would look at performance mm-hmm. first, but um, those other elements are important for some golfers as well. Yeah. And as you said, comfort is, is a big one now too. I mean, people want to feel comfortable and want to, um, and you know, that was one thing I'll be honest that I didn't like about the old metal spikes is, you know, especially when you're walking on grass uh, or even on the green, it wasn't so bad, but when you get out in the parking lot and had to go back to your car, it was not really the most comfortable um, experience, uh, at least from what I remember. But again, technology's changed so much, um, and you're obviously changing the composite uh, or the composition of the spikes now. As we talked about, you know, they were more of a, a, a softer plastic earlier on when they first were, were coming out. Um, you, you touched on a little bit it, it, what some of the technology now that's being used. I mean, obviously, you're, you've got different materials that you're using. What What's popular now with, with soft spikes that you're using in, in your technology? Yeah, so everything kind of goes back to our, our dynamic traction technology, um, and that gives us the ability with multi-materials to, to, give, um, to give some legs a little bit more flex and have some legs be a little, bit, um, a little bit stiffer. So you still get that comfort, you still get that turf engagement with a, with a flexible leg, but you still get that... that um, you know, harder turf penetration with with the um, with the stiffer with the stiffer leg. So we can we can kind of tweak and dial um, a couple different things um, throughout the line, and you and you see it kind of more so. Um, you know, as you look at different models in our line, some you can tell uh, looking at them are, are geared to be way more flexible and, and have less of kind of that stiff element, and those are going to be more for comfort. Um, and then you've got some that are that are pretty rigid and pretty aggressive, and um, those are going to give you a little bit more traction. But um, yeah, there's 
there's a lot going on in our line and, and we're we're really happy with where we are today in terms of having kind of an option for everyone. Yeah, there there is quite a uh, you know quite a few different options. So just to sort of wrap things up a little bit, I'm going to give you obviously an opportunity to direct people to you know to the website and so forth and, and let them know of anything that's going on that you want to um, point out. But um, you you do have a lot of product. Give us just a, again a, a general overview. How does somebody decide which is right for them? I mean, with so many different products that each have their own thing. Obviously, we got to do a little bit of homework, but you know, if, if I was somebody that's looking to buy, um, you know, one of the, the brands that you're offering through Soft Spikes or one of the, one of the um, how do I know what, what to look for? Because you've got quite a few. So if I'm sort of a, a newbie, let's say, what am I looking for? And how did I decide which yeah, one's so, going to be best for me? Yeah, so the first thing you're going to want to do is visit softspikes.com. We have uh, a new feature on our website called the, the Spike Selector. Um, that's going to help you figure out which um, system is going to fit your shoes, right? We talked about Fastest 3.0 a little bit and how that fits the majority of them, but that, that would be your first stop to make sure that you're buying the right, the right one to fit your shoes. Um, and mm-hmm. we are in the process of building that out um, with kind of the data that we have on all these models. We're, we're in the process. It's not live on the website yet, but it will be shortly. Um, so that you can go through and kind of do an online fitting. You can say, okay, I hit my driver this far, and this is how I navigate the course, and these are my normal conditions, and we'll come back and give you some recommendations of um, based on what fits your shoes, which which models you mm-hmm. should be looking at. Um, and then we'll give you a kind of a background or a, a backup alternative uh, model as well. Okay. So it gives them an option, a couple of options maybe. Um, because, again, not everybody, again, depending on the level of play and, and the style of play, um, you know, as the old saying goes, one shoot, one size does not fit all. Um, but, you know, it's good that they have the ability um, through that program, uh, Spike Selector, to be able to go on and pick what, what's right for them um, based on their game and obviously their, the, uh, the shoes that they're, they're using. Um, that's good because it, it is, you know, a lot of people, there's so much on the market right now and in every aspect of, of the game that it does make it challenging. I, you know, I, as I said, I teach the game. So I, you know, when speaking with students and that, I'll hear a lot of them say, well, I don't know what to buy. And, and I'm not talking about specifically this, but just in general, you know, what, what equipment should I be playing? You know, I've played this for years and I like it, but you know, there's so much on the market and it's challenging. So now you've added another ingredient on there. Now people are have to, you know, choose soft spike. So it's nice that you offer, um, you know, an option for them to go through a process to help sort of, help them narrow it down their search. And I think that's, that's great. And as you said, you're building that out even more. Um, any final thoughts that you want to share with the audience? Uh, uh, obviously you can share the website again, but is there anything special coming up that, that they need to know about any, um, you know, special functions that you guys are, are putting on that uh, you want to make them aware about and, and uh, floor is yours for a few minutes. Yeah, I appreciate that. The um, the website uh, from a from a website enhancement, you know, that next level of Spike Selector is definitely going to be a, a big ad. So um, you know, keep an eye out for that. But there was one thing that came up in our conversation that I just wanted to kind of circle back on, and, and that was comfort. Sure. Um, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about kind of the the evolution of soft spikes and where we've gone with materials and and kind of what the what the deliverables are, what the gains are that that golfers get, but. A lot of the feedback that that people provide when they talk about spikeless shoes is, is that um, 
they wear them because they're more comfortable. But the the research mm-hmm. that we've done and the test that we've done is, is there's, there's there's kind of perception that spikes are are more are less comfortable, right? You talked about metal, and that's kind of been a lingering right. thing. Metal spikes were, were uncomfortable um, with the mm-hmm. technology and the materials and, and kind of what we're able to do with dynamic traction. Um, the feedback that we're getting in our in our testing is that spiked shoes. Are are just as comfortable, if not more comfortable, than spikeless shoes. Um, so as mm-hmm. we look at these advantages that you get on the performance side, um, it's just I think important for the audience to kind of think about and, and consider spiked shoes if if they're if they weren't considering it because they're they're under the impression that that spikeless shoes are more comfortable. I think it's important that they they give spiked shoes a, a shot because that's that's not necessarily the case anymore as we've transitioned away from metal. Yeah, and I I couldn't agree more. And I, uh, from a personal preference, I agree with the with the uh, you know the, the spike or cleat shoes that that are being offered through Soft Spikes now. They're much better. You know, if you're looking, you know, if again, depending on your level of play and your commitment and stuff, you know, if you want to go the other route, that's fine. And yeah, they look nice and and whatnot, but they don't really offer the, the traction uh, the, the cleatless shoes um, that most people are looking for. But you know, some people like that, and that's fine. But I, I agree with you. I think the the spike shoe is is definitely if you're looking from a performance standpoint, um, they are very comfortable. Um, they're not, uh, you know, n- not like they were, you know, 15, 20 years ago. They're much different, and uh, the technology, as you said, has really um, changed that. And obviously, you're getting the feedback to support it. So, no, I think it's I think it's great, and uh, some great products, and very excited to just coming down the pike. And I hope uh, when that time comes, and you're uh, able to give us a, another sneak peek at what's coming out. Um, I hope you come back and, and share that with my audience. Love to. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, again, uh, speaking with Sean Slater, he's uh, the brand uh, senior brand and product manager for Pride Sports and Soft Spikes, and uh, you can find him. Uh, Sean, go ahead, give the website one more time, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, so our website, uh, www.softspikes.com. Um, and then I would also just um, give a plug to our, our social media. So we're at Soft Spikes Golf on Instagram. We've, we've uh, kind of revamped that, and we're putting a, an increased focus there. So uh, a lot of great content coming out on, on Instagram as well. Perfect. Again, Sean, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's always interesting to share with the audience um, you know, really what's not just what's new, but uh, some interesting aspects uh, in this game. It's not all just about swinging the golf club. There's a lot of things that go behind it, and uh, not just comfort on the feet, but also uh, stability and traction uh, are, are important as well, and it's uh, good that you come on and share that with my audience. I appreciate it very much, and much continued success, and I look forward to you joining me again on a future show here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you, and have a great weekend. Likewise. You too. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, that was Sean Slater, the again, Senior Brand and Product Manager for Pride Sports and Soft Spikes. Um, again, uh, you can go to softspikes.com is the website, and uh, you can check out all the stuff there that we talked about this evening. A lot of great information, and uh, if you're in need uh, for some replacements, you can just order them right online. I also want to thank uh, Sue Weger uh, earlier for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, Sue, for joining me and doing a great job in our discussion tonight. And uh, always enjoy uh, having uh, the panelists come on the show. It's always interesting, always some interesting conversations. So 
Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you have a great week, and I will see you next week with another great panel and another great guest here on Golf Talk Live. God bless, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.